call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 10 of Call It Friend of myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Donica Tiernan. In this week's episode, we discuss the 2003 made-for-TV mockumentary, Windy City Heat, and the 2007 Guy Madden documentary, My Winnipeg. As always, check out justwatch.com for streaming options. Uh, although Windy City Heat, you can find on YouTube. Enjoy! Rucka, rucka, Ali. What's up? This Rocka Rocka Ali! Y'all know Perry Caravello from Windy City Heat? Oh, he a big star now? Ah, I got a movie! I ain't gotta talk to none of y'all little people! Fuck that shit, bitch! Where would you rank uh, this week's movies? In the context of all the episodes we've done. In the context of this podcast. Yes. I think it's quite... It's tough because I feel like the first film... I started to try and put it into perspective of how much my life has changed since 2003. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the question of how yeah, much has the world changed yeah. since 2003. That, but that's I was the, even considering... That's the really interesting thing about this film. You continue, please. <laughs> I was just going to say, like... I was I was thinking back to like okay I don't want to go too much into into the origin mm. of it but I was thinking back to like the man show yes and so because that heavily features in terms of like Jimmy Kimmel Adam Carolla and the, and, the whole and, buzz and, like, off and Don Don Barris and and people involved yeah it's all very much in that era of two thousand and three yeah. and I was thinking like the first time I ever saw Doug uh, Doug Stanhope on TV was 2002, and I probably saw him live in 2003 in Edinburgh, the Fringe, in what would have been like maybe an audience with 30 people in it. Mm. And at the same time, like that was when he took over the man show in 2003, and it was him and Rogan and a bunch of other people working on it. And it's just like so much has happened <laughs> since that time like if i think about my own life it's insane how much has passed but then if you think about the world and comedy like my god is it's it's like watching a black and white film well, what, the equivalent one thing i'll say is uh, the you referred to an era and this must have been like a 5 second era because for better <laughs> or worse i've never seen anything like this um we are, of course, talking well, about the film that Andy submitted uh, last week, Windy City Heat, which is a 2003 mm-hmm. made-for-TV documentary uh, directed by and featuring Bobcat Goldwaith and conceived by or written by, even as the credit goes, uh, by Tony Bar- Barbieri, Dom Barris and Jimmy Kimmel. And it's more like the man show than Kimmel uh, live um, in like oh, it's yeah. sort of clout yeah, changed a lot and in that tone time, yeah. uh, and starring, of course, none other than Perry Caravello. Uh, the premise is scary that Perry. Dom Bar- uh, yeah, Scary Perry, I believe he was famous uh, on public access television around uh, Los mm. Angeles. The premise is that Dom Barris, having discovered uh, Caravello performing stand up, urges him to pursue the starring role of Stone Fury in the titular fake film Windy City Heat, in which, all going well, he'll act alongside Barris and one Walter Molinsky or Mole or the most annoying <laughs> fucking thing I've ever seen, the personification of the most annoying sound in the world from Dumb and Dumber. That's who he is. <laughs> but the whole thing is an elaborate prank, apparently, and part of the Perry Project, uh, which, I mean, sounds like a very low-grade version of uh, when Universal staked out their uh, 
Universal Monsters shared universe a few years ago because <laughs> the mummy with Tom Cruise got released and that was the end of it, uh, which is the Perry Project is a series of pranks. The Perry Project is just this. On, well, yeah, there's yeah. other, there's more to it. Though. It's a, apparently it's a series of pranks uh, perpetrated on Caravello, orchestrated by uh, Barris and Bar- Barbieri, which began in 1995 and apparently continue to this day. Um, so before we before we start off, I just want to ask. How familiar were you with any of these people before watching this? So I know I knew quite a lot about Don Barris because I remember like I Is think it we Don need to, or Dom? Probab- Don. Okay. Don. Don Barris. I've been saying Dom. I don't, we might need to put this in the context of like our own familiarity and our own involvement with stand up sure. because I feel like that might feature quite heavily with some of the content. So I think like I was listening around sort of like 2011, 2012, maybe, which was just when things were like Mark Marin's podcast and stuff. Mm. It was just starting to maybe pick up steam a little bit. I think, I guess Rogan had started at that point. Um, Brian Redban, Joe Rogan's producer at the time, had put together this type of type of like uh, Death Squad. The uh, comedy Death network. Squad, yes. Death Squad, which I guess is what eventually like made famous, at least in comedy circles, people like Tony Hinchcliffe and Burt Kreischer and stuff like sure. that. But I re- one of the shows I remember was Don Barris's own thing, which is the Ding Dong Show, which is a show that he, I think, still runs or would if there was no COVID on a weekly basis in the comedy store. I think it's on Monday. So in LA in the comedy store after the open mic, he has for many, 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 many years, like 20 years maybe, run this show called The Ding Dong Show, which is basically it, a collection of schizophrenics, people, genuine, like people with like severe mental illness. Wow. Like uh, Perry, like Scary Perry. And so he used to do a podcast of that. Um, among other things and that's where i first became aware of him and this would have been yeah maybe like 2012 ish or something wow jesus uh that bit of exposition has painted this a slightly blacker shade of dark for me if i'm honest oh, well yeah <laughs> i mean i think perry perry caravello is just one of like a whole host of different people that barris tended to i don't want to say exploit but we we've had conversations mm. about this in the past. So again, to go back to our like, like we both met doing stand up comedy because I used to run open mics in Barcelona. So I've yeah. come into contact with no one at the same level of psychological, <laughs> or no one at the same level as 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 Perry in terms of being completely divorced from reality but i have met we've both met people we know people in common <laughs> yeah yeah that's who fair. are who are verging towards perry levels of of not uh, <laughs> of living in their own fucking world right okay so that answers um, a question that would have come up anywhere along the way <laughs> uh, which yeah. uh, i might as well pop out so and say it so is this real and they're taking advantage of a mentally impaired man or is it fake and it, they would have been better off waiting for the likes of will ferrell or danny mcbride to arrive on the scene so it, this is a hundred as far as i'm aware this like as i say perry is just one of the type of one of the kind of crew or the don barris the type of people he had on the ding dong show I think the most important thing to bear in mind is this from Perry Perry Caravello's Wikipedia, which is 
1979, three yes. weeks after getting his driver's license, he was injured in a car accident that put him in a coma for three weeks. Yes. As a result of the accident, he suffers from brain trauma, which Dr. Drew Pinsky describes as a classic right frontal lobe injury. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's... The same sort of thing is said of... Um... Roseanne Barr and Alex Jones to kind of like the both mm. like Alex Jones apparently got the shit kicked out of him and Roseanne Barr was hit by a car pretty badly as a kid and apparently it just changed them mm. as people. Um, the, I mean, Bill, compared to those two, Perry is in no danger of being cancelled uh, or he would be cancelled at this point. <laughs> um, to be <laughs> yeah, on, to, to be honest, this uh, this. <laughs> As we'll get to, this film should be happy with its um, very circumspect, very circumspect, circumspect place in history. Um, because uh, yeah, I like. I mean, right. The most famous person in this, for me anyway, would be uh, Bobcat Goldwith. And like, I was familiar with Bobcat Goldwith via, um, I suppose, his stand-up and Police Academy, of course, where he played yeah. Zed. Uh, and then yeah. later on, when he directed uh, World's Greatest Dad, and like yeah, the latter of which classic. is just so uncompromising and raw that I figured anything else I watched by him yeah. would be similarly like auteur and personal. But now I know through looking at his Wikipedia page that he was much more often than a, an auteur, uh, kind of a jobbing TV director. Yeah, and yeah, this for hire, yeah. kind of feels like uh, more in the camp of his jobbing TV director. It feels like the offspring. You think so? I think it was. I think it was just him fucking around a bit. I think he just thought it would be funny. Uh, okay, fair enough. I mean, it's like it's an odd epoch because I feel like I yeah. get exactly what they're going for. I feel like I get it exactly. I um. There's one scene in the film that particularly illustrates this, but they're basically trying to make uh, the Three Stooges cinema verite is the thing. Right. That's it. That's the whole pitch. And as far as that can be made to work, I suppose it works in a way, but it's an odd experience along the way. But I, I mean, I went down a bit of a, a bit of a kind of rabbit hole of some because they have they had a podcast called the Big Three. Yes. So the the three main guys from the film were still like recording videos, recording a podcast for years after after this till about twenty thirteen. I think they they packed that in. Um, but as far as I'm aware, Perry still thinks that Tony Barbieri's name is Walter Mole Malinsky. Perry doesn't realize that the mole is a character. You see, I find this like it, it's either I can't pick out whether it's so moronic. I can't believe anybody would believe it. Or if it's not that, that basically means that they are dragging a shoestring on the, along the floor for a mentally retarded man. But it does, it, throughout the vast majority of the film, it's incredibly mean-spirited in a way which fits with the kind of man-show 2003 time period narrative where that was kind of the, that was kind of what was going on. Like, there was a lot of that going around of just being incredibly, yeah, as I say, like, really, really mean-spirited towards people. Um but at the end of the film, it, I feel like they, they torture him, but then they give him like a moment of glory. I mean, it, it feels a bit like The Room to an extent, which is, I mean, I it have was that noted. at the same year. <laughs> yeah, it was released at the, it's released in the same year as, as The Room. So clearly there was something going around Hollywood at that time where mentally ill people 
could could star in their own film. How do you feel about the room? Um, I've only seen it once. I could never get into that cultish. Mm. I'm not going to sit in a cinema and go like, no, 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 whatever no, no, no. the the spoon thing is, where they're yeah, like, I've heard all. Bring your own spoon and all that shit. Like, I'm not into that. I liked the Franco film. I thought that was fun. Mm. Um, you see. The, fr- yeah, the Franco so film the okay, but... is from like the, like to be honest, if I'm in the right mood, I can really really laugh at the room because it has some de- genuine yeah. slam dunkers of lines. But I can never mm. stay involved long enough to not feel like I'm basically watching a mentally ill person have a meltdown, and uh, it just it'll just by occasion make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And yeah, I know what you're talking. I mean, this this is what we've discussed. We've discussed it a few times in terms of our own involvement mm. in stand up comedy. As we have <laughs> come into contact with people where you feel like, oh man, this is bad. Yeah, this is not good because this person is like mentally like. Like if I'm not capable. sectioning this person right now, I'm doing society a disservice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, we should not be giving this person a microphone. We no, should be giving them so some kind of sedative <laughs> to welcome him on stage to a round of applause. And him going, yes, you love uh, me, you love me. Or, I have a hundred, and I, I, I have a lot of guilt connected to that because I have enabled well, people. you should more than, in, more their than own, me, I think. They're in their own psychosis. <laughs> I'm far more guilty than you are. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's something that I live with on a day-to-day basis. Uh, yeah, I suppose. So, uh, <laughs> by the way, if they ever get around to doing with this film, what James Franco did uh, with The Room, Danny McBride's got to be playing Perry, right? That, why not? Yes. Yeah, I'd always, I'd always have Danny McBride. Have Danny McBride in anything? He can, he could do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely, he's a favorite. So anyway, we begin with Perry on a soundstage, reciting some dialogue from the film, and then we're told uh, about the premise that it's all a fake, a big joke, and that there's all cameras on him all the time. Um, and then we, um, get, like we pop back to, we jump back to the audition. That's where we're going. Um, we're it's very very difficult to break this film down because I mean, I'll, I'll do my <laughs> both best. of these films. This is the, yeah, do your best because again, yeah. for me, it's even worse for the second film. Oh yeah, yeah, like, for sure. I Good mean, luck, it, buddy. <laughs> for here, we've yeah, I know. For here, we've just got like it's you're just going through a series of like they're just playing pranks on Perry and trying to kind of build it into a narrative of of this film yeah, this yeah, yeah. Film i mean there are plot pl- there are plot points such as and the lady has massive cans <laughs> for sure we're actually about to encounter one so so first of all so then we flash back in time we go to the audition with perry and dom and uh, with perry automatically dom, coming dom, dom, across dom. like fucking joe pesci playing tommy wiseau um yeah and uh then <laughs> the receptionist at wherever the audition is has huge cans. Susan, her name, her name is Susan, Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> so everyone is named after. I liked, uh, I enjoyed that history, gag. Right? I enjoyed that gag. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, that uh, I, I got a buzz out of. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is the first kind of, just their, their demeanor in the back of the cab is the first sort of instinct. Like it's the first, the first time I get my instinct that this is an attempt to do cinema verite of the, Three Stooges, um, which isn't like how perfectly that works out between the three characters. Like, again, I'm constantly questioning how 
real this is, but whatever. I mean, after you telling me that, I'd be willing to go on board. Well, you're, now you're, I mean, you're, you're making me question it. Like, is this just a, a, a massive prank? The only reason that I don't believe that it's a prank being pulled on the audience is just because I've, I've witnessed, well, we should have a certain, mm. we should, what, what we've witnessed of the insanity of some people. Also, I've been to the comedy store in LA. I went to the open mic night. In, in, in the comedy store in LA and I've seen some of the people that go on stage in the open mic and <laughs> if you think like we we witnessed a level of insanity and I we've seen a level of insanity in Europe yeah you can only imagine how much that's amplified in in Los but Angeles but that's what I mean I'm back and forth and like the parts where I'm back and forth is like it's kind of like okay have you ever seen um and like you said there's no real way to properly structurally break this down so this will be a rambly one uh, have yeah. you ever seen Exit Through the Gift Shop? Yes. Okay, so there I is it. every... Yeah, it's a brilliant film. There's every reason to to believe, if you look at the structure and setup of that, that the whole thing is fake. There is every reason to believe. Except for that fucking guy, Mr. Brainwash, who you're going... Yeah. He's the linchpin of it all being fake, and I believe him. Yeah. For some, like, uh, is it is it actually fake? Did, what, uh, what actually came of that in the end? Because I don't recall. I don't. I yeah, yeah. I, like the, the the theory and the end of it seems to be it was that Mister Brainwash is is who he is, but he was yeah. in on the whole giant orchestration ah, at the okay, same time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and yeah, it's just I. It's just with. Or something like Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant would claim about Carol Pilkington. It's just that you can't kind of fake something like this. It's well, that's but like there's a world of difference between Carl Pilkington and Perry Caravaggio. Yes, there is. Um, he makes he makes Carl Pilkington look like I don't know a, Einstein. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I mean, that's there are one or two lines that I did write down specifically. Anyway, so right. Walking out of the audition, we see this famous guy who I didn't really, I don't recognize, who... Uh, uh, Carson Daly. Yeah. You remember him from the early 2000s? He used to host like a show on VH1 or MTV or I something. I remember him, re- like a, him referenced... A VJ type guy. He's referenced in an Eminem song. Yeah, Eminem, yeah. Carson Daly, Fred Durst, and hear them argue over who give head to first exactly. or something like that, yeah. Uh, I remember the lyrics. Then... Uh, so later and oh yeah also later on we discover that neither did uh, Robert De Niro or Bruce Willis uh, among <laughs> others get the role in the film uh, oh yeah also at this moment fucking mole arrives um, and now I just I hate every moment he's on in the really that's funny that doesn't bother me because I know it's just someone playing a character so but no I knew that too I did know that. Yeah, I mean, it's fairly obvious. I mean, it's obvious. The guy's wearing like a ridiculous wig, and but I, that character doesn't annoy me. It does feel like it's from I don't know, scary movie or something. Well, yeah, I like this guy. Like Mole demonstrates the fact that this film is from a very specific epoch when something like Mole was funny, or they okayed a character who gave me a feeling But of... he's still, but even now, that same guy, Tony Barbieri, he he plays a character on uh, Jimmy Kimmel nowadays who goes around and basically trolls people. His name's Jake Bird, I think. I watched a couple of YouTube videos. So he goes to, like, Trump rallies, and, you know, he just sort of fucks with people a bit. So he's still doing like he's a he's a character guy. He I mean he's a stand up as well, but he's written a lot for TV shows, and he still works with Kimmel. Every so time he arrived on screen, I felt like 
when uh, like I don't know waiting for some waiting in a pub and one of my friends is going to come to meet me and then there's a lonely alcoholic who wants to talk to me uh, and I just like he look oh, I felt I could s- but he's he's just there to fuck with Perry every single thing that he does is like <laughs> he's he's just he does whatever is the worst thing to do at that moment that will absolutely fuck with fuck with Perry and he does it successfully frequently I mean you've got to spend disbelief to get on board with this and I just couldn't I feel like you did <laughs> well I that's again might be because I've had a bit more familiarity with the people involved mm. or at least with like Barris anyway maybe yeah all right so the audition begins and it's Bobcat who's uh, perpetually speaking into a tannoy and uh, Dane Cook, <laughs> that, who's n- all that stuff is funny. I think it's yes. like him going and act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. And he's con- he's constantly has the yeah the the like bullhorn thing. That's good. Um, and Dane Cook, who's named Roman pa- Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many of the how many of the people did uh, you pick up? Um, I got Francis Farmer, Burt Ward, Ansel Adams, Hiroshima, Ansel Hiroshima Adams. Nagasaki. Hiroshima Nagasaki is the Japanese investor. And uh, Travis, Travis Bickle. Uh, Travis Bickle's the, the limo driver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, and the, the gag is basically uh, Perry doesn't know things. That's the gag <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, anyway, he gets the part, uh, the big three wrestle him down but then the next uh crux of the drama is where okay who's the voice of the person on the phone who is that i'm pretty sure that it's tony barbieri because he goes out mole leaves the room um with both of those phone calls so i'm pretty sure that it's it's him who's making ah, that would make sense okay so yeah the the next uh, crux in the <laughs> what's what's the name of that character what's the person on the phone call oh, i forget um uh oh it's uh john Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> and he's doing like a really camp British guy. Good God. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like Basil Exposition. He's like, hello. Yeah, it's very Basil Exposition. Um, so then the next, um, the next, <laughs> the next big um, hillock that the drama has to surmount is uh, the casting of uh, one Jiggly Wrigley. Um, Jiggly Wrigley, uh, the heir to the Wrigley fortune, and uh, yeah, she she's uh, yeah heir to a chewing gum fortune, but she won't tell you which one. And the part goes to the receptionist with the massive cans. Yeah. Uh, yes. Anyway, soon enough we see a clip of the film, which kind of legitimizes it a bit, uh, just because it looks like a clip from an actual film from that era. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it it looks like the room. Same quality as that, really. Uh, I feel like... I guess. I I don't know. When's when's the last time you watched Ace Ventura? Uh, A long time ago. You should... You should... You should give that a go again. Uh, It's... Should I? (laughs) I'll tell you what. It's interesting. Finkel is Einhorn. It's interesting because it's not... um, It's not horrible for the reasons people might think. Everyone will, of course, remember when he fucking... uh, it finds out he smooched a dude and he showers yeah, aggressively. He's slightly, he's slightly transphobic. Yeah, yeah, but that's not the homophobic. But that's not the bad part in it. There is a bit of homophobia in it, but the worst part of it is, is you're watching it and you're going, "Wow, do you remember how big Ace Ventura was? It was fucking huge." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it was like it was in '94. I was like 12 or 13 at the time. And you're watching it and going, "This person is a c- c- horrible creep." He's just a weird, creepy dude. He's 
Well, what sort of stuff? I, I mean, do, could you have an example of that? I just remember him going to the toilet and then walking out and going, Woo-hoo. just yeah, yeah, all of that shit, all the carryisms. It's just a night. It's just a nightmare. But that's but that's all. I mean, we're good. Let's not get yeah. off track here. But this, that's all that was was um, someone had seen his stand-up act. Basically, like they were aware of because he was a kind of comedy store guy. Mm. He came through the LA comedy store. People had someone had seen his act and said, "Wait, how can we just put that as a character?" Yeah, but they did it successfully in some in some projects and just not in that one. I would say, like, well, you say not successfully, but like that was massively popular. Oh yeah, I don't know. Fair enough. I mean, in like retrospect, it looks silly, but it's been twenty six years and comedies never stand up. That is- I mean, even at the time, people were kind of like sort of talked shit about it, but even I think it was. I mean, it was. It was financially successful. Oh, very, yeah. And um, it definitely was like part of the cultural zeitgeist. But I mean, right, and no, I will digress a little bit because it is relevant to what we're talking about here, comedy not aging well, what you just said. But if you take something like The Cable Guy, The Cable Guy has aged fantastically well. I watched that this year as well. It's still really good. But you say it's still really good, but remember, like, that film was Yeah, that was savage. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So, like, you're talking about in retrospect, that was just something that was. I wonder how liar liars uh, stands ahead up. of its time. How do you think? Uh, I would say not very well. How do you think Windy City Heat stands up? <laughs> I think uh, I don't know if I even would have particularly liked it in 2003. Right. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll get back to it. All right. So, yeah, the the, <laughs> the clip of the film <laughs> legitimizes it a bit. Um, By the way, we should we should mention that this film is available on YouTube, so you can watch it. That's how I watched it. I don't know about you, but I watched it on YouTube. I did not watch it on YouTube. Also, oh, you went to your local video. I did store went to, 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 to get a VHS. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it on Laserdisc. Uh, nice. I've, I don't think I've ever watched anything on Laserdisc. Uh, Me neither. Right. Anyway, so like the. Here's the thing. The f- the film, for me, is funny when it leans on just Perry's personality to the point that he just says something insane. Like when he's talking about his... his <laughs> he's talking about his contract and uh, he says, uh, oh, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah, just like an orgasm is coming. And you're like, what? <laughs> what's what's that? Uh, he's a genius. But it's like dumb when it like leans on its premise, I found. But... I mean, maybe it's supposed to be. I don't know. It's painful when it leans on um, Mole and Dom. It's just fucking painful to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, there. I think. Well, again, it's just it's so mean spirited in those scenes because it's just those. It's Perry's supposed friends just being absolutely awful. Towards it's kind of like the, ja- the Jackass Boys it, with Aaron McGee. Exactly. It's exactly what I was just about yeah. to say. I was going to say this was the era of Jackass. Yeah. So you're, it's an era of friends kind of beating the shit out of each other and like throwing dog shit in each other's face. But I don't know. It's weird to say, but like I, the one thing that you'll remember as well, at the same time as Jackass, a bunch of Jackass pretenders came out and the the guys involved just weren't as likable as the Jackass yeah. bunch. Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, had yeah. them. There was, there was a, I remember there was a Scottish version of Jackass. I don't know if you ever Dirty saw Dirty Sanchez? World, World, no, that was, they were well. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, the Scottish one was called World Famous for Dicking Around. And was it just awful? Which is a, is a good name. It wasn't that bad, but like you say, it was like they didn't have the charisma. Like mm. the reason why, I, I was never, personally, I was never a fan of Jackass, but 
I think I the was. reason why it worked was you, you could get the you got the sense that these people actually liked each other yes. and wanted to hang out and they were charismatic. You know, people like Johnny Knoxville. Yeah, like uh, whatever you uh, thought about him, were Pontius like, and were Ryan Dunn, and and yeah. and then of course there yeah. was a million spin-off shows where Bam Margera just yeah, abused his parents. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so then the next uh, debacle in the story is Bobcat wants real poo in the dumpster that Perry's going to get thrown into, uh, which I believe he gets. He seems to secure some manure. I think it's like yeah, that's all it is indeed. Um, manure. So then comes the, the drama of the rider, uh, where Perry is conservative on a Jewish man's advice. <laughs> Good. What was his God, name again? I I... Steen, Spiel, Spielberg and Steenberg style. Uh, or something. I don't know. And he's just wearing a <laughs> They gave yarmulke. him like the most kind of like anti-Semitic. Yeah. Wait, wait. Here's his name. His name is Saul Sternbergowitz Greenbaum. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. But that's again. That feels that's, like it's of the time as well. But like, that made me that's laugh. A, that's a two thousand and three. Yeah, that made me laugh. It shows you my level of humor. Two thousand and three Jewish I'll, Jewish lawyer name Joe. I'll give you like because you know where my level of humor is at. Um, yeah. So we're very familiar with yeah. Uh, so each other. Can you can, can you guess? I'll because we'll get to eventually. Can you guess what the line or the point of the movie that made me laugh the most was? Definitely Perry saying that he's a homophobe. That's got to be. Up it was there. up there, but it's not quite it. I'll tell you when we get there. So uh, uh, wait, wait, get, give me a clue. I just want to see if I can get it. I want to know. Um, it, 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 I don't know. It's just a very literal thing to say. He just says exactly what is happening. Who is it, Perry? Yeah, is in it, a is, very is dumb Perry? way. In an extremely dumb way. I don't know. We'll get there. I, can't, I don't know. I can't think. It might, yeah, it might pass me by. I'm not we'll sure. We'll get there. Uh, so, that, yeah, yeah. Then comes the rider and Perry is conservative. And then Mole arrives on a motorcycle. Um, and then this part made me kind of sad because it reminded me of the sheep episode, Father Ted, and that I could have been watching that instead. Cause you've, Which part? The, when the two boys come along with the expensive things they got from their riders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, from, you know, in Father Ted, where Giant, <laughs> giant Hastings buys a fur, cro- a fur coat and yeah. the other fella gets a crown. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> uh, okay, then we've, then we've got the issue of uh, Charlton Heston being in Perry's trailer. Uh, and then they get him out and no further questions, Your Honor. Uh, what the hell is that? Ah, well, they're just fucking around. I mean, that guy's called Bob Legionnaire, uh, apparently. The guy who was playing Charlton Heston in inverted commas. Yeah. And per- I mean, he's just some per- actor. Perry comedy d- actor. seems to know that it's not Charlton Heston. Well, yeah, he goes, that's not Charlton Heston. But, like, that is that is the most rigorous that Perry is with anything. Mm. He just immediately, it's like... But again, he suffered a frontal lobe injury, which seems to, or perhaps, have affected memory as well as as other things. He just he just stops thinking about it. Yeah, I suppose. Then, anyway, comes um, comes Perry's wardrobe. Uh, at which time, uh, at which point, I suppose the mu- the <laughs> the movie becomes happy that it never became bigger than it did. Uh, because, yeah, uh, I suppose the 90s and the noughties were really like progressive decade in terms of the depictions of homosexualities. Uh, but you know, that's so funny because that character is uh, SpongeBob SquarePants himself, Tom, Tom Kenny. Is he? Who's playing, San- yeah, playing Santiago, the gay wardrobe assistant. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I bet, I bet he's delighted that this is not blown up. Either. Oh, I'm sure he is, yeah. I'm sure Jimmy Kimmel is, too. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, all of them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> by this point, the movie either, I don't know, leans into making fun of a mentally impaired man or really shows its age. Um, and I get the feeling, but I get the feeling that this wasn't, not okay because Perry is mentally impaired. So in a way, it's not as bad as it seems. And the, the movie just might be real in that case. But essentially, you're just doing. You you are you're you're just you know you're laughing at a mentally impaired guy. So anyway, just just uh, we we know something rotten afoot is coming up in the scene because Perry says, "Do you have a, a soundbite, or should I just say it?" No, I don't. I didn't. I didn't. I I couldn't find the clip. I couldn't get it. Perry says. Uh, I'm not a fag. I am homophobic. I hate fags. <laughs> uh, and his wardrobe guy is essentially. I just want to say that was that was Donica Tiernan that said that. <laughs> I don't. I don't stand by those remarks or even the use, even for a uh, for explaining the context. Okay. I personally don't. I can't stand it. I think it's wrong, and I think you should be fired. Let's have sex. I think I, th- but yeah, let's have sex <laughs> to finish that off. I think, but again, like, I feel like that is representative again of just the passing of time. Oh yeah. Yeah. For because sure. Because I feel like that sure. What he said at the time was unacceptable, but like it was still something that they could draw attention to. Whereas now I feel like you couldn't even yeah, draw yeah, attention yeah, yeah. to for that. For sure. No, 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 Like no. you couldn't even, you couldn't even go like, haha, look at this person. I feel like well, I haven't watched the new Borat film. Does that uh, cover any similar ground or? Ah, to be honest, it's like I, I actually this is all one of the because we're talking about how well comedy ages essentially, um, and it, Larry Charles directed the first uh, the first Borat movie and the Bruno film, and they're by they're clearly the two the two best films that he's done. Sasha Baron mm. Cohen and he, I like I basically feel Larry Charles's approach must have been to outrage to uh, allow the outrageous moments to happen whereas the new film is really really seeking them out and you can kind of tell where they didn't quite get them just by the way they cut it uh, they be, right. they just cut it to get to somebody's disapproving face and a disapproving face isn't somebody being offended they're just being weirded out by this yeah, weird yeah, creep yeah, yeah. um and they blame a lot of it on the fact that uh borat is so famous nowadays but i kind of don't buy that so much particularly with the sort of people he's trying to freak out during the movie i don't buy that they would have recognized him i basically just think he wasn't as good he's not as good at doing what he he did before um i mean he's how old is he now he's got to be like <laughs> sort of pushing 50 even yeah i mean he's definitely too old for this shit he's at least like mid 40s he's not too old for the aaron sorkin movie he was in uh i still haven't seen it's good that's on the list for me anyway his wardrobe guy santiago is essentially kenneth williams from a carry-on movie um and uh which again is like a stereo as i say like in the 2003 is still that stereotype era where you can you have like a gay wardrobe guy coming in going like i need you to take off your pants yeah but like it's like that's the thing it's just like it's kind of like talking about it like this now and it's not even 20 years later oh it's just about 20 years later it does it feels just anachronistic and stupid to judge it by the standard because like did you ever hear the story of like that's true i mean i i certainly wouldn't mm. I, I wouldn't 
judge it by no, I, no, you no. Ha- I mean, it's fascinating again, to watch. If anything, we, but the thing is, like, we we both remember that time, <laughs> so it's mm. not like you know. What I mean, it's like yeah, that existed, and that's what it is, and yeah, like you wouldn't. There might be there might be pushback, but it is that what it is. Is thing the thing might return like or, yeah. like you're a hair's breadth away from this type of humor with like basically again to Danny McBride. Danny McBride kind of just. Uh, finesse this yeah. with a character like Kenny Powers, but it's a lot of the same shtick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's true. That's true. And like, like for example, do you ever hear like uh, at one point in the seventies, the feminists came for Benny Hill and he lost his show, and he became like like really depressed, and and they basically said you know objectifying women and it was sexist and so forth. But like there was a very real argument to be made then and now that well, no, it wasn't sexist. It was fucking Benny Hill. Do you know what I mean? It very much is what it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just, it's not like, right, it was just him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, that's just what he did. And it, like, it, it, he wasn't like putting forth up some kind of idea of how people should behave. It was just like, no, this is who I am. And it's like, you can bet your ass, like, if something about this film now surfaced um, uh, to tarnish Jimmy Kimmel's reputation, he'd do some sort of a mini apology tour. Maybe he wouldn't. I'm not too familiar with him as uh, as a person. I'm not too familiar with him either. But I feel like, yeah, he's kind of positioned himself a bit, sort of. He's a bit of an activist in in, in politics. Maybe I'm not 100 percent sure, but I feel like he has definitely evolved in the last 17 years but it would be him that they would come for and they would leave perry all alone oh sure so oh, I mean, yeah. no one gives a shit about perry yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, literally yeah. no one cares about that's him, the even his friends oh, god it's so sad when you put like that <laughs> anyway then we've got the the smoothie scene after that oh yeah so basically yeah perry loses his mind about the gay guy being around and he just yeah he doesn't he is not comfortable with he that exactly <clears throat> then we got the smoothie scene, which actually looks really like a scene from a comedy era of the time. Just the big, dirty ass apartment. Yeah, all crap. This, this, the main, yeah, the main. How that functions in a few scenes is they just keep doing multiple takes of making him do horrible stuff, yeah. and just going like, "Oh, we need one more take." Like that's the joke. Is like we're just gonna. I did really laugh at the one point where they he's tied up in a chair with the the two baseball bats, mm. and then. He's so he's like handcuffed to a chair, and then everyone goes on break and just leaves him. I mean, it's such an obvious joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I did find myself laughing at just him sitting like kind of tied up in the chair, screaming like for someone to come and like let him out. I did get a giggle at that. Like to be right, most of the things that they're aiming for the funny with, I gave it a giggle, and sometimes sometimes the laughter was just because I just couldn't believe what the fuck was happening. But anyway. <laughs> whatever the case i did laugh like um so yeah they make him eat it over and over again and this is um the hindrance of this the hindrance of this whole thing is um they're setting to give uh to give poor terry the runs before his sex scene with jiggly wriggly lest we not forget is played by the massive cans receptionist um and uh by giving him the runs they're thereby ruining his chances of uh taking advantage of his position and touching up the actress who ends up ha- that feels really that feels yeah that definitely feels like an age period. yeah who ends up having a full penetrative sex with his big fat stunt double <laughs> and then they can't use the scenes in the movie <laughs> which is just mental <laughs> uh it's like the the way that's sold is like oh god i got a sex scene with oh what the hell 
Anyway. That's mental. It is mad. But that's mm. maybe shining a light on things that in 2003 they were a bit more kind of open <laughs> about. Whereas now they would 100% have to keep that under wraps, mm. even hinting at that type of thing, like that that might be involved in the whole acting world. I mean, the kind of shit that people have been pulling over the years of like touching up actresses, etc., has clearly been happening on a massive scale. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just uh, touched on some of it recently in Don't Look Now, of course. Um, yeah. Then, uh, so, yeah, actually, um, the scene follow, <laughs> this, around this time, this gave me my biggest laugh in the movie, because Terry, 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 Perry is in um, the Jacks, like, just uh, exploding with <laughs> diarrhea, and Dom, uh, Don asks him through the door, um, what was that noise? To which Perry replies, <laughs> my, my ass farting. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. I spat out my teeth. I, that is your level. You're right. <laughs> my my ass farting. Like, what <laughs> did I just hear? The actual, I mean, if if Good there God. was any credence to your to your uh, theory that the whole thing was faked, it was just how over the top the shitting sounds are in the toilets. Yeah, like it's almost perfect. The idea he's he can't whatever he ate or drank he's like oh that's that's going right through me, and it's it's like comedic it's like kind of the scene from Bridesmaids the like shitting yeah. in the sink it's that same level of just like fart noises, but it just is too perfect. So then next up is the saga of Perry's assistant being used by Don, which whatever, uh, and swiftly followed by yeah, that again feels very mean. Yeah, uh, the, swiftly followed by like uh, the action figures and then the table. Now the table is bizarre. The setup is telegraphed from like fucking ten minutes before <laughs> it happens, but of course, it's being paced. It's still quite funny. <laughs> it's being paced like a documentary. Um, because <laughs> the idea was, what if the Three Stooges was a documentary? So they go with it. And uh, so this is a sequence that, like, I mean, like you, if you ever want to, like, just. Just watch that scene again and just think what somebody like the Three Stooges or the Marx Brothers would have done with it. And they would have done exactly what these guys did, but they would have done it in like about seven seconds and it would have been much better. But anyway, right. I know that's not what they're going for, but I was just watching it going, ah, oh, this is why this is why uh, physical performers like proper slapstick performers were good, so good because we don't get the Marx Brothers. We don't get Three Stooges. We get fucking mole. Uh, it's so funny that you I, I'm surprised how much you hate that character oh god it just wrecks my head It was. it's like he's a human designed by Jim Henson um, so, yeah because I mean he's a he's a character do you know who he's like uh, uh, he's like uh, you know the guy in who actually this is ironic because actually I love this character but you know um, the the guy in Father Ted who sits on the wall with the t-shirt saying I shot JR yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a very over-the-top character, yeah. yeah. So then... <laughs> yeah, but it's clear. You, I know what you mean. It's clearly a character. It's not someone that exists in the world. It is Which is why comedy. it's so jarring, because I it's guess. just really difficult to believe that Terry believes it. Perry. Perry. But that's, I think that's hints at, like... I, I, I just, that is the level of disassociation that Perry has from the world. He's unaware that one of his friends that he's been friends with for years at this point, they've known each other since the mid nineties. So like eight years or so before they made this film, they've hung out and 
he believes that Tony Barbieri is is his name is Mole. Like that's just it's just scary. It is scary if it's if it's true. Yeah. I have a I'm with you. I do actually have a little clip. I have a little clip of Perry from this scene. Mole is not a human being. He's a he's a fucking little bitch. He's a child. He doesn't know how to be a grown up person. I told him to stay away from the table. So that's Perry screaming after <laughs> Mole has knocked over. So yeah, there was a table full of uh, donuts, uh, beautifully laid out, which was going to be given to the Japanese investor in the film Hiroshima, Hiroshima Nagasaki. Nagasaki. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mole comes along and knocks over the table that Perry's guarding, and then Perry freaks out and screams, which he does frequently. And then Hiroshima Nagasaki arrives and says, this film is cancelled. But it's okay, because that voice. means that we get to meet Yergi, um, yeah. whose sole purpose another character. is yeah. to be uh, dodgy and Russian and arrive with big-titted ladies. That's his job. Wear a tracksuit. Uh, yeah, he's basically supposed to be your uh, atypical, sleazy Eastern European investor. He takes over the film and is responsible for the line everybody loves a rim job scene <laughs> which is he's um he that that guy's tom stern he came to he was like alex winters um writing partner from they went to college together in new york and then alex winter obviously got like um what's it called fuck i can't even think what it's called what the hell is the thing? Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. Um, oh, Bill and Bill Ted. And Ted. Yeah, he, so Alex Winter got that. And um, Tom Stern started working on a bunch of other stuff. Eventually started working on Jimmy Kimmel and the man show and all that. So that, so he plays Yergi. And he has apparently been playing Yergi for years in Perry's life also. Fair enough. So he's just another like long-term character in in uh, Perry's life. So then we've got their mad trip to the premiere, where they're told that the film will be shown only once. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they got to get there on time. So uh, Don and Mole lock Perry outside, and then need to uh, stop for water. And then the driver gets smashed drunk, and then they stop in a convenience store out of a Mel Brooks film except that film was probably funnier i'm being harsh there but yeah maybe you know with the two twin daughters yeah. that's like literally yeah that's yeah, just yeah, out yeah, of the yeah. producers or something um right. and then they arrive and perry does his stone get uses his stone fury magic to get past a bizarrely handsome strong man <laughs> guarding the cinema lobby which is uh, I, I don't know it amused me um yeah yeah, and then the guys make it in and seem to seem to watch the whole film standing in the front row. Uh, <laughs> and then afterwards, Perry receives an award from the president of show business. The president of show business, yeah, that's Jeff Pearson. And uh, yeah, and then they all arrive onto the Jimmy Kimmel show, and um, Jimmy jokes about Perry being gay, and yeah. uh, Colin Quinn. Colin Quinn is just sitting on, yeah. the, on the sofa at the end there. So weird. He looks so awkward. Yes, he, he, it looks like he's working hard to remember that he himself is uh, of timeless comedy. Uh, uh, 
and just I don't know, like it's yeah, it seems like it's an odd moment for Colin Quinn. Uh, I do, like I I'm a huge Colin Quinn fan to be honest. He's one yeah. of the people I love most in comedy. It's just he just seems so blown away by this bizarre thing. And actually, of all the moments in the film, that one is the one where to me Perry looks like the realest deal because he just does not. I, he just doesn't the, at that moment he doesn't seem to be in on the joke anyway when he's on Kimmel which I suppose if yeah. he was going to be in on it he it would have been by then also he just has the the insane hyper confidence of someone who has suffered a traumatic brain injury do they get hyper confident I feel like doesn't I mean again I'm not a doctor but I feel like uh, that would be perhaps part of his brain that he damaged <laughs> oh I was like anything that was like restricting kind of uh or anything that was uh enforcing rational thought or some kind of fight or flight reflex and all that uh mark remote has a tendency to give comedies a six laugh test would this have passed yours no i would say like there was no massive belly laughs it was just times where you know like they're watching the guards and the yeah, there's the um, Schindler's, oh, Schindler's List, List too. scene. Yeah, that's straight out of the Larry. It was Sanders something show. else. That was, that felt like yeah, that. like I mean, that's again, that's just that kind of like little throwaway joke of having like uh, stuff going on while Perry's there and him like not understanding or being in on the joke. But I would say like there wasn't any massive laughs. There was just parts right where I was like, ah, that's kind of funny. But I just think it's again, it's it's tough to watch something like this out of time. Yeah, because I think for like a full narrative feature, it's much easier to for the for the comedy to perhaps like withstand uh, the test of time. But I mean, this was essentially like a made-for-TV yeah, project. Yeah. Sp- it's not like it was a massive thing at the time. And do you think it's easy to watch my Winnipeg anytime? Uh, I'm not a, so yeah, the second film was, uh, Guy Madden's My Winnipeg. Um, I'll start up front by saying I was not a massive fan of this. How did you feel about it? Ah, yeah, no. Uh, like having heard the initial description of it, um, I, I thought it was something it wasn't, uh, like Mm. the, the initial seed of the, like the idea is one that I could get on board with and could enjoy, but yeah. uh, it's his yeah. style of putting movies together just keeps me at a distance. Um, I haven't seen any uh, anything else that he's done. Neither I mean, have I. I understand that like everything, what well, his his Wikipedia feels heavily like he wrote it or he was involved in the writing of it because yeah, it I, kind I, of I picked up on that him, too. It paints him as like a hero of uh, Canada and the. the you know, like one of Canada's top filmmakers. And I kind of get the feeling I was speaking to a friend of mine from uh, Canada or lives in Canada. And she was saying she'd never heard of the guy. And I was like, yeah, it probably seems about right. I feel like perhaps most people don't know who he yeah, is Yeah, the thing is, right. So I read, um, I think, yeah, I just ended up coming across the idea, just the idea of this film, even let's say, uh, by just I'm just in general, I've always been interested in uh, Roger Ebert, and I enjoy his writing, and he's a huge fan of this film, or was a huge fan of this film. And um, but the thing is, I fr- have frequently, vehemently disagreed with the things uh, Roger Ebert has has loved, and it turns out that I would 
put this film in a very similar boat to another another film that he absolutely adored. Uh, he said it was the best film of that decade or something like that, which was um, Sinodoki New York. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, I I've I watched the first. Uh, I think during lockdown, I watched like the first thirty to forty minutes of it, and you and I just couldn't. I just felt so tired. I love Charlie Kaufman. I just couldn't. Also, by the way, I think it's called uh, Synecdoche, New York. Synecdoche, but, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I watched like about half an hour of it and I thought like, yeah, I like the idea of this, but it just made me sleepy. And also I felt the exact same problem watching this. Yeah, of course. I, I, was, I watched it on a Sunday afternoon after lunch and I was just like, fucking hell. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just want to sleep. I had to stop for a while because I was in danger of falling asleep. And there are moments throughout it where it almost feels like it's sinking into a more accessible rhythm and you could get on board mm. with it and then it'll just go right back and put you at a distance again. Right back, right onto the like very final sequence. So there are sequences in it that I w- was able to sort of get into yeah. for a few, for yeah, a few seconds. A few of, yeah, I agree there was a few of those, but I think they're undercut, which is a problem. But just to give the basic yes, synopsis let's do that. of it. It's a 2007 film directed and written by Guy Madden with dialogue by George Tolles, whoever he is. Described by Madden as a docu-fantasia. That's already um, a <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, description <laughs> of genre. That melds personal history, civic tragedy, and mystical hypothesizing. The film is a surrealist mockumentary about Winnipeg, Madden's hometown. A New York Times article described the film's unconventional take on the documentary style by noting that it skates along an icy edge between dreams and lucidity, fact and fiction, cinema and psychotherapy, or psycho the rapey, as I prefer to pronounce it. Nice. Um, Yeah, I just, even that in that description, which I've pulled directly from the Wikipedia page, turns me off and just, it gives an insight into like, this is going to be a bit wanky. Hmm. You see, wanky, I can deal with. I can. Me too. If it, if there's some substance to it. Yeah, and well, like I wouldn't go as far as to say there's no substance to this, but I feel like, right. Um, here's what it is. I feel like there was there's a certain point in this where what he is trying to go for, he could he could have kind of made a decision to go for it in a more yeah, quality direction. And put a yeah. fucking more of an effort because it- it's like okay, right? Nah, a film he's just throwing shit at the yes. wall. Yes, a film, a yeah. film like okay that will almost give you a headache is uh, David Lynch's film Inland Empire, but there's not a frame fucking unchecked in that film. Um, mm-hmm. they, like there just isn't. It's like and it's experimental and it's crazy, but you know, I mean, it's all in the service of something. Whereas the, this, it feels like it's lazy a lot for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I think if if you're going to get me to watch something all out experimental, you better be fucking putting in your legwork is the way I would say it. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's fair. Uh, so anyway, the film opens with a Weinstein Company logo. Nice. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, Which is why so I, I turned it off. Yeah, I don't know about you. That's why I haven't that's watched it. That's why I didn't like personally. the movie. <laughs> that's why I threw my computer out of the window as soon as I saw <laughs> Fucking that. piece of shit movie. Just so this again, this uh, this is a heavily Canadian film. Um I mentioned to you already, Donica, off the podcast, but I recently played the South Park game The Stick of Truth. Yes. Uh, and there's a section of the game where you have to go to Canada. As soon as you cross the border, the game switches to an old-school 2D RPG game, and the character sprites are all from the 80s. The the NPCs talk to you about ice hockey and say lines of dialogue like, have you been to Newfoundland? You won't find better sodomy in all of Canada. <laughs> and, and all the classic South Park uh, Canadian content, like... And that was how exactly how I felt after about 10 minutes of this film. Do I need to I just felt... play the stick of truth? This is from the stick of truth. Well, and the movie, I know. Yeah, not even a real country anyway. Yeah, and uh, there's other kind of, uh, yeah, there's other classic moments, but that's, like just there's a section of this film where Madden or the the actor who's playing Madden um just talks about ice hockey <laughs> for about twenty minutes. That's actually one of the better sections of the like, film. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> but like he's just ranting about the fucking NHL for about twenty minutes and it's just Right. Um You're kind of thinking like, how does this fit? I, I mean I guess that it's a very personal por- portrayal of his hometown. Oh, fuck but off. Still. Um like I right I don't know okay so <laughs> Guy Madden if you're listening uh, yeah the film uh, outlines its mission statement very early on so it's got him driving around in a train apparently trying to leave Winnipeg with this awfully fucking cut window thing and this guy trying to get to sleep it looks like something out of a razor it's a head. very sleepy and, it's a sleepy town and the, the sleepy sleeps the implication is I don't know that the film is some sort of a a, a personal project with him to be able to leave Winnipeg. Now, what I had initially thought, and the reason I recommended it, is just by descriptions of it, I'd kind of gotten the idea that somebody was making a film about their hometown, but sort of based on the, you know, around the perspective of a, ch- of a child and the way you would, uh, like, see it as you were a child. And you get hints of that, like, yeah. when they talk about the... Apparently, there was these seances in the mayor in the ballet school. I thought that was the most interesting. Yeah. I thought that was one of the most interesting parts. I get. I would just one thing mm. about this. Like, I stopped the film after ten minutes to look up Guy Madden and his work. And the reason that I did that was because immediately, or after ten minutes, I felt like this is this is like an art piece. It's like an installation which is something yeah. that he's apparently has also done he's like produced art for art galleries oh so it's for it sure did, it felt yeah so i i felt like it, the same way that i would approach a piece of art in a gallery is like there's no kind of like death of the author to this you kind of need to know a bit about this person in their life yeah. because i feel like it's presented in the same the same way of, of how we view yeah like a like a painting there's there's going to be some insight into the artist's life also you could and watch i think the that's sec- i think that's necessary here you could watch the sections of this in any order i'll, I'll warrant oh yeah absolutely you could fucking just like with with, with an installation in a museum and i would probably yeah. have stopped in this for like 10 minutes 
it has it has that same tone of or that same feeling of when you're in an art gallery and you walk into the little room and there's a there's a video that's like yeah, yeah, just yeah. Keep like the same presentation replays again and again it has exactly that same tone but the other the other thing like tonally that i was reminded of was this my name is barney and i'm an alcoholic <laughs> mr gumbo this is a girl scout meeting <laughs> is it or is it that you girls can't admit you have a problem Don't cry for me. I'm already dead. That classic episode of The Simpsons. The Bar- Barney Gumbel's short film, by far, the, uh, much better. Than Football in the uh, Grind? I don't and, think uh, so. <laughs> well, obviously, I wasn't talking about Football in the Grind. <laughs> football in the Grind had a football in the grind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's better than Guy Madden's My Winnipeg. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, yeah, it's a pity, because it's, it's like... Roger Ebert liked some pretentious shit, and uh, I'm gonna have to um, add this to the list of it. Um, I do, we're not breaking this down in any real. No, fashion. but I would just I would no. There's no there's no real point. I mean, mm. I think. The, what are the parts so, of it you enjoyed? He, here, okay, okay. Well, let's. I would say the concept of he so Madden cast a bunch of actors to play his family in the 1960s. He says in the film, or I mean, the again, he had, he so he also hired this actor mm. called Darcy Fur to play himself, who's apparently has appeared in in a, a number or at least one other of Guy Madden's films, and so he has these actors playing his family in the 1960s, and he claims that the the actress playing his mother is actually his mother. Mm. But she's an actress. She's like a, a, a like a kind of um, cult fifties actress. But I think what was quite interesting was like I don't think he used it at all well. No. Like you said, of just like not actually developing anything. But the idea was nice there that he's like running through childhood scenes that had some effect on him. Yeah, but it's like about a ten minutes of a of, of thankfully only like an eighty two minute film. Oh yeah, yeah. Like it, but, it hints at something that might be interesting and doesn't fucking go near it. Like that's especially like I was just going to say like the the one of the the members of his family is his sixteen year old brother, like his his elder brother who uh, killed himself, who killed himself on his girlfriend's grave because his girlfriend died in a car accident. So that's why the that's why his brother that they're they're talking about is it, like, is that mentioned died. in the film. No, that's yeah. just in Madden's bio. They mentioned that he died. Yeah, yeah, they, they do. Don't yeah, mention yeah, yeah. The fact that he killed himself or anything like that would be way more interesting than anything else. Like delving into some of that, but yeah, there's like even even the whole section of uh, when they demolish the Sears store and it builds this fake stadium, and then we'd start talking about hockey, etc. I think if you if they had just given a bit more focus to fucking that or when they talk about the seance in the ballet school or the theater or whatever and if they had just focused on that and then take it like um stepped back a little bit just to talk about like i don't know the way fucking kids blow up mythologies or shit like that or maybe he was just pulling it all out of his ass and if he is just pulling it all all of his ass then frankly i don't want to know about it um i think the I think one of the problems of what of why I why it doesn't work for me is that like the tone is 
sarcastic and you're never quite sure what's real and what's not. I mean, yeah. some things are clearly jokes. Like it starts, I mean, jokes, not, I mean, who's, who's to judge? Uh, you know, it's not, it's not Windy City Heat here, folks. <laughs> but like, um, he's talking about how everyone in the city of Winnipeg by kind of city ordinance is allowed to carry the keys to their old apartments because it's a city of sleepwalkers and you're, you can just go wherever you want. Mm. But like, he's just kind of like making up a load of bullshit. But then he mentions things that occurred in the history of the city of Winnipeg, like the world war two thing. If, if day, that's a real event that happened in 1942. The city of Winnipeg staged a Nazi invasion to raise to to get money for like World War II bonds, and I think it did have this like crazy traumatic effect on people that they Jesus. he just mentions it in like a throwaway thing, and you're kind of like I don't I didn't I hadn't heard about it before, so I was just kind of like oh yeah that's quite a funny interesting idea, but it was a real historical event that actually occurred but because it's because it's thrown in with all these other kind of elements that are not that serious it really undercuts what would be a far more interesting point i would watch a fucking 10-part documentary series about if day yeah i think that would be super interesting but it here it's just another element of the of the of the feces that is being hurled projectile towards the screen it's also uh like, well i i think I, I don't know did you notice that um well we have finally discovered one of the places that john spillane gets his ideas from what's that well you've got the winnipeg treasure hunt day where you go around winnipeg and you discover that the winnipeg was the treasure all along Oh yeah, that's true. And John yeah, Spillane has a video uh, John, about the John Spillane, about the, famed Irish comedian about the treasure of, of Limerick. Exactly. So that's what, from off of from off of social media. Off of social John Spillane. Media, John Spillane. Look him Look up. Him up. Uh, the, we'll, Spillane. We'll, in, Spillane. we'll include the the link in the description. Yeah, we'll put a link to him ripping off uh, Guy Madden, his favorite director. Yeah. There's also there's another like so everything that they try and have a go at. I think you can find a more interesting version of it elsewhere. That's what I think. Uh, I would agree with that. Okay, like um, the whole deal with the mother and um, uh, trying to get get away from his past. If you, I don't know if you ever seen the documentary Crumb. No, is it we? I think you might have mentioned this to me before, though. It's about what's his name, Robert Crumb. Yeah, yeah. I think that was exactly why I said last time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're into all that, trying to uh, sever yourself off from all your. Uh, family traumas and so forth um, but uh, there's a never a I prefer trauma I want to live with the trauma <laughs> a domineering mother uh, figure it just um, clambering onto you then Crumb is your yes. film there if you ever want to watch a, a ballet film with seances fucking Suspiria man um, Suspiria indeed it, uh, like fake uh, invasions Canadian bacon hello or uh, what's that what's mm. that one with Dustin Hoffman with fake wars uh, uh, wag the dog, wag the dog, wag the dog, yeah, wag the dog. So, like, yeah, all the things that he hints at in his um, makeup fart fantasy, uh, which should have been a museum installation. Uh, By the way, let me just add this: what a great day for Canadians everywhere! <laughs> the Winnipeg drummers playing the March of a Thousand Farts. 
as is traditional for the Canadian royal family. Oi. But yeah, that's the thing. That's a, that's a far more interesting insight into the lives of people in Winnipeg. Well, and more accurate, probably. And this is just this is small town. This seems to be a small town where loads of bizarre stuff happens. Yeah, if you want to watch something about a small town where loads of bizarre stuff happens, fucking South Park, man. Just yeah, absolutely. Just look. Just Park. do a Google on the top fifty episodes of South Park because there must be at least fucking a thousand by now, is there or something? Yeah, oh, yeah, man. They've been they've been going about more than twenty years. Um. Anyway, yeah. So no I that's two weeks in a row. I've kind of served up some shit sandwiches, Andy. I I apologize. Well, I mean, I'm partially responsible for this one because. It was last week's toss was between Windy City Heat and Ashes and Diamonds. So it was like, you know, the op- the option was like a classic, critically acclaimed World War II film. Which is now off but the table. I, which is off the table for a while. But there's plenty more Guy Madden films in his filmography. Oh, good God. Yeah. And surely Perry Caravello's been in another film. So we've got lots of other how stuff. Do you steer clear, I think, how do you steer clear of stuff like this? I mean, I think this, like, I'm like, if. So, okay, so obviously for the podcast, I'm going to always finish the movies, but there's no way I would have finished you watch, this. You watch way more films than I do. Like, I've seen a lot of films. I've seen, by the average standards, mm. I've seen a ton of films, but I watch things that are critically acclaimed, but I feel like I will be interested in. I feel like I don't expose myself to as wide a range of things as you do. Or even, like, even over over my lifetime, I mean. You have a higher tolerance for things than I do. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say the idea of this, like, you know, the the blurb of my Winnipeg sounded like an interesting idea. I still think it does sound like an interesting idea if it it was the idea I thought it was on the fucking blurb, uh, which it isn't. Um, So... Uh, if something like that can grab me, I'll I'll go for it with them. Um, I'll jump in with both feet. Um, but yeah, this I mean, this I've was seen not people, that. I've seen people talking about this film because it's taught in film school. I mean, it's something that's used in various film school courses. Like maybe fuck that. Maybe because of I don't know. I'm guessing it's because of like Madden's mm, perhaps link to like silent movies and what he's capable of creating visually and or, or without well i mean it's like low budget black and white shooting he's can capture a lot of images but here's I mean, the I thing really dis, i really despise the flashing up words on oh the yeah screen. me too oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, I hated I, it hate it. it it's all like it's you know like uh, we're, it looks we're like going back again to um, exit through the gift shop do you remember when mr brainwash has to submit his film and it's just loads of visual noise and then I, do, I I really don't. I watched that film when it came out, and I I just recall like him being French and small and running around. Uh, That's about all. Well, I can anyway, there, yeah, he eventually submits the film that he was supposed to make about graffiti artists, and it's just incoherent rubbish. And that's what a lot of uh, my Winnipeg would be. Um, it's just yeah, yeah. But here's the thing about all the silent film techniques he uses. You go back and watch some of those silent movies and some of them are fucking great. Honestly, like mm. you, like within five minutes, uh, like you obviously have to sit down in the mood for it. I'm going to watch a silent movie, do that. Um, 
once you click into that gear, I mean, some of them you don't even have to click into the gear. Some of them are just entertaining. Buster Keaton films are just mm-hmm. fucking entertaining. But even like if you say, right, I'll watch something interesting. Watch this Soviet uh, weird documentary thing called A Man with the Movie Camera. And like you read the year that that was made. Sit down and watch that after. Uh, OK, you'll probably have had your feet of it after about 10 minutes. You've seen all you need to see. But just watch the techniques that they were laying down and like you can kind of figure yeah. out how they would have done it practically. But it's just amazing like that they were able to achieve it and that the images are so clear and they like they do it like basically through stop motion you get to see a camera come apart and put itself back together again. All done with still right. photography. It's amazing. And I just think, so when people say that, oh, Guy Madden uses a silent a technique I, I like, like i'm just going well it's almost like an insult to those guys because their fucking films were way better than your piece of shit um like because the, yeah. they were like really like if even if you look at george Melier, the way he used to color in frames and stuff like that you know that's mm-hmm. technique to an end whereas the, the, like what he's doing is sort of deliberately uh, anachronistic and annoying in that regard you know yeah Agreed. I don't know if I even had anything particularly more to say. Like, yeah, I mean, they had, uh, you know, there was stuff that was reasonably interesting, like mm. the the whole uh, group of horse horses that ran into the river, yes. and then they got their head, they became stuck and got frozen in the river, and then their heads were sticking out. But I mean, again, he went and filmed this scene with kind of, you know, obviously fake horses, fake horse heads sticking out of the river. Uh, bed but tried to make it you know tried to make it look like it was of the time when it might have happened which again it just it just i don't know it just it felt like it kind of undercut the the power of it again it was or it was another interesting moment oh it was a bunch of um, ideas it was a bunch of ideas yeah, not one ideas, of them ideas, not one of them fully yeah, executed worked on. yeah indeed like you've got it's uh did you ever hear yeah. the story um uh What's his name? Errol Morris. Um, yeah. He said he wanted to make a documentary about these people who owned a pet cemetery in this town called Heaven's Gate. Or was it called Heaven's Gate? Or Heaven's Gate is that big Michael Cimino it's epic. It's called Pet Cemetery. Um, no, I forget his name. Gates of Heaven, maybe something like that. Uh, and uh, Werner Herzog, who considered Errol Morris incapable of finishing a project, bet him that if he ever finished the project, he would eat his shoe at the premiere. And now there's a documentary called Werner Herzog Eats His Shoe, where he ate his shoe at the premiere. That sounds familiar. For that documentary. Yeah, I watched it. Um, it's, all, it's all leather. It's good for you. But it's like, Guy, Guy Madden, I mean, if this, like, if this is what he considers finishing a project, man, he could finish projects all day. <laughs> like, yeah, I've finished a bunch of projects. If this is Well, it. like, yeah, it's like, okay, so you look at something like, the, the, that idea of what he's doing with his family, if you take that line the entire way of, uh, to, if you walk that line the entire way to its end, which is like, I don't know, um, what, let's, you could, I don't know, let's say you're asking the question, what kind of psychotherapy can you achieve through the filmmaking process? And then psycho the rapey, please. <laughs> psycho the rapey. And then you, you take that line and you walk all the way to something like, um, what's it called? The act of killing, um, which yeah, is sure. which is yeah, t- which we've mentioned, we've already mentioned before at some point in these podcasts. It's tough going, like, but I mean, it's 
an amazing fucking achievement. Oh yeah, the, even again, even it, like you were saying, like in terms of Werner Herzog, like the elements of little little, uh, little Dieter needs to fly of him being taken back to the mm. place and re-experiencing something. Like yeah, same similar to Act of Killing is like that is powerful and and does something. Yeah, he it. really wants to explore something with it. Whereas Guy Madden says, "I've got my ideas and I'm going to decorate them up with my wanky, broken-looking film technique, and that'll do." You know what I mean? And no, it just fucking won't mm. do. It's like when you listen, like for me, I don't know, do you like the band um, Sonic Youth? Uh, I'm not, I'm not opposed to Sonic Youth. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a massive fan. Well, I just, like, they just annoy me with their underproduced songs. And I'm just listening to them going, and if you listen to somebody like the Pixies who came out around the same era with polished fucking tight songs, and I'm like, they're not, they're the conceptions and their ideas for how to make, music aren't too dissimilar but the pixies said i'm gonna fucking tighten this shit up and just get just get out a polished sort of a diamond um where sonic youth are like vah, 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 vah. or you know the way janine garofalo used to get on stage with her little piece of paper and um, purposefully yeah. de- purposefully deconstructing it rather than aspiring for something you know what i mean Right. And I think that's what fucking Madden is doing here, and it just it just fucking bugs me. Speaking of speaking speaking of Sonic Youth, I don't know if you know, but Thurst, Thurston Moore used to play with uh, a good friend of ours, Mister Daniel Gutierrez. He used to play with uh, Thurston from uh, Sonic Youth. I did not know that. Yeah, back in the back in the New York days, Dan Gutierrez was one of the first people I heard blowing the trumpet of Windy City Heat. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. It all comes back. There we are. It does. Uh, this will mm. go down in history as one of the shortest episodes of Call It Friend. This will go down in history as an episode. Indeed. Um, well, I mean, I would say... It is what it is. It's fine. There's nothing more to... I mean, to be fair, the when we talked about uh, Free Solo and Little Dieter Needs to Fly, or Learns, what's it called? Little, Little, Little Dieter, Dieter Needs, needs to, to Fly, fly it's yeah. called. Uh, yeah, we talked about two documentaries. That was, again, was the shortest episode uh, until that point. Because with the documentary, if we you're not going plot point by plot point, and there was a lot more to say about those films than there has been about these two. And yet we've still managed to talk for over an hour. And we have, um, um, Anna, but I hope we're heading back in the direction of some fucking narrative meaty na- narrative fiction. Or feature, yeah. whatever. Who, who, if it's based on true I story, fine. <laughs> whoever wins this week, we're going to be watching something of at least reasonable heft. I guarantee it. It's happening. Uh, so, do you have a coin? No. And I've tossed, I, yeah. I tossed last time. I can get a coin. Do you have one there? No, I do not. I nice. literally pour. I, sh- I don't want to be accused of rigging this because I've won. How many have I won in a row now? It's got to be like at least I three. think it's three. Okay, just for the sake of uh, changing things up a bit, I went and got a two euro coin. Nice. Because it it looks like fun. So I guess we should uh, talk about the films first. Okie dokie. So I feel like I always go first, so you go first this time. Maybe you'll win. (laughs) All right. Uh, This was actually uh, me wanting to watch this. Um, It's just inspired by it uh, flashing on the television there last week in the middle and I had always my mother I remember loved this film I had all I had never quite sunk my teeth into it and then I just happened to see like literally about five seconds of it and for some reason it it, it took me this long to realize oh this looks like just 
popcorn munching fucking great time. (laughs) I want to watch Thelma and Louise, 1991 Ridley Scott film, Thelma and Louise. So that's what I'm, because I've never seen it before. And uh, it looked interesting. I haven't seen it for a long, long time, but I've seen it at least a couple of times. I mean, apparently, apparently it's script is one of those ones that like it's, it was on the blacklist or something. No, no, no. It's like it's held in the esteem of Casablanca as just like a perfect screenplay. Oh, interesting. And um, yeah, Ridley Scott, that that happens to be all that Ridley Scott needs. But, you know, like basically mm. because he, he yeah, he, I, take away a good script. Very competent. Yeah, exactly. So um, Thelma and Louise for me. But of course, I won't get to watch it because you're going to um, win again. I hope I don't know. I I I, re- I genuinely don't mind who wins this week because no, no right, uh, no right. There's, there's some there's something to go around here. So mine is 1974's uh, Francis Ford Coppola film, The Conversation, which I'm I just it's one of those things that I can't believe I haven't seen it because it's in that kind of yeah 1970s new wave era of like the the quality the quality films that were being produced it's just it's like sorcerer the same it's just one i haven't got around to uh, um, I, there's no 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 excuses i don't know why so it just feels like it's time to get it done yeah and now i and i basically ticked the conversation off the list years ago uh, when i was first getting into wanting to watch everything yeah. from that scene so i haven't actually seen it since then so i would be yeah nice. I, i'm due a rewatch certainly all right. Well, the options on the coin are two or like a big bird thing. I'll take the big bird. Okay. I don't want to. I don't want to see it. I don't know which side is. I don't know which side is facing up. <laughs> it is two. Ah, oh, what? <laughs> what the fuck? I'm never going to watch Tell Me Why? Apparently, when I get a coin, you just don't want to give a brother a break. All right. Do you know what, like, um, when I, my, what my uh, companion film to Thelma and Louise was going to be, it was something that I didn't want to introduce on its own because technically I've already seen mm. it, but I wanted to watch the Kingdom of Heaven Director's Cut. Director's Cut. Well, why did you have to I've, mention I've that? Only, because I've only seen it in the cinema. Uh, I was a- like, I, I never saw the Director's Cut. I was supposed to watch the Director's Cut in the cinema. Just uh, the weekend that we cl- uh, reclosed cinemas for lockdown, I was literally I was Aww. gonna I was gonna because I've never seen it. Like that's why I felt I did felt like I can't introduce that on its own because technically I've watched the film, but I've never seen the director's cut. So that's why I was gonna match that up as another Ridley Scott oh, double bill. I mean, we could... Well, hey, we remember that it's there as an option. Yes, indeed. But you've you've seen the you've seen the normal theatrical. I have, yeah, have but I've never seen the director's cut. cut, and the director's yeah, cut yeah, is supposed to be good. one of the director's cuts, like completely yeah, redefining yeah, the movie. Um, yeah, but well, well, anyway, I'll never see it now, so. All right. So you, well, not necessarily. Oh well, I guess I don't know if we could. So well, it depends if there's a, if there's any other Ridley Scott films going. It's getting involved in that. Fuck yeah! Know. All right, you want to hear my response film? Please. My response film is going to be another seventies American film, another paranoid film. Uh, the first in um, Alan J. Pakula's paranoid political oh. trilogy. Uh, I've seen the other two. I've never seen the first one. Nineteen seventy one's Clute. Ooh. Oh, that's near. We're back to Donald Sutherland. Indeed, we yeah. are. Have you? Why have you um, seen this? And and Jane Fonda. No, but I've. There's um. 
uh, when I went to university, I was at a university in Newcastle. Um, at the same time, there was a club in Durham called Clute, which was uh, ranked as it was in the top five worst nightclubs in Europe, <laughs> uh, which is quite an impressive ranking. I don't know how you get into that league table. But I went to Clute, and it was honestly one of the worst nightclubs I'd ever been to in my life. It was just horrendous, but it was named after the film. And that's saying something, so because nightclubs I, I was, al- I was always good. aware of the film. Yes, in general. <laughs> I, I myself am not a particular, a per, particularly a fan. Um, but yeah, I was, so I've, I've been aware of Clute for a long time, and I guess I've read up a bit. I'm vaguely aware of what it's about. But uh, thankfully, don't know the plot. But yeah, I know Donald Sutherland is uh, is the star. Have you seen the other two movies in the Fonda. Political Paranoia trilogy? What are they? Are they are they Black Sunday and? No, no. Have you seen Black Sunday? What a great film! Uh, I'm going to say yes. John Frankenheimer but... <laughs> and uh... yeah. Oh, that's Frankenheimer. Yeah. I thought that was Alan J. Pekin. No, um, the other two are the Parallax View. Parallax View and, and uh, all, the pre- all the all the all the presidents yeah. men. Uh, I've seen all the presidents men. I haven't seen Parallax View. Oh well, they, like that's very good as well. So this will complete the trilogy for me. All right. Well, okay. I feel like we're more or less guaranteed better movies for next week. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to. I've, these are two films that I will actually. It's not going to be a chore to sit through. No, 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 no. I'll be I'm looking to looking to get to, to get Clint. the specific window set aside so i'm definitely not going to be pausing them and shit like that it'll be good all right okay so yeah next week we'll be back to actually discussing the plot and there might be slightly less of voice mod is opening (laughs) there might be slightly less of this type of thing what a great day for canadians everywhere Winnipeg drummers playing the March of a Thousand Farts, <laughs> as is traditional for the Canadian royal family. Yay.